Today on the Business Builders Podcast, we're talking with special guest Ian Tennant, a business development professional with over 20 years sales experience across multiple industries, working on tactical deals valued at 100K and beyond through to strategic multi-million dollar deals. So today's episode is sure to provide lots of real world insights to help us drive business development in our organizations. Well, welcome to the Business Builders Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Brenton Gowland. And I'm Ron Tomlin. And Ron, this is really uh, a great episode, so we're not going to waste much time with preamble because we've got a guest here today. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. And so we're really starting to wrap up our series on driving business development. So if you've been listening to the series, we're now that we've gone through our four areas that we've been looking at, and those four areas are planning, monitoring, aligning your team, and then winning as a team. If you haven't listened to the series, highly recommend you go back. But we're going to talk to an industry professional who's residing in Melbourne at the moment, but has been working all around Australia and has some international experience as well. And I think what he's going to bring to the table is going to be quite good for you who are listening. And I might just say as well, we've had a couple of inquiries about this series. I had someone ring the other day who's specifically asked us to ask a question of our guests who have been in the business development arena. So to that caller who was inquiring about that question, we will ask it today. So if you do give us feedback and you do reach out to us, we will do something with what you tell us. Anyway, before we get stuck into it, we've got to do our sponsors. So there's SA Business Builders. A group of industry professionals who get together about once a month to build business relationships, support each other, and do networking the right way. And there's you. Me. Adaptco. Oh, that's right. I run a business called Adaptco. Yes. So I work as an outsourced CMO. I go into businesses. I help you build your marketing function, make myself redundant in the process, and help you take your business to, I hate saying the next level, but in essence, we do. We break a few barriers. And uh, the idea is to make sure that people open themselves up to opportunity. And it's great to go through that process. Challenging for some, good results for many. So that's Adaptco. Excellent. Do you like that little introduction, the way I changed that up? Yeah, very good. Cool. We're going to have to think about how we do the sponsors in the future. You know, we'll give you some stories from their clients, I think. Maybe get some people in from the Business Builders Network, yeah? What a great idea. Cool. Now, without any further ado, because we want to get stuck into this, Today's guest is, well, let me tell you about him. He's been working in the IT industry for about 30 years and 20 years of that have been sales. And he's got a a really interesting pathway into how he's come into sales. And I think there's some things to be learned there. Now he's worked in direct sales, account management, developing sales teams, partner management and the like. And his clients have ranged from banks to insurers, financial institutions, governments, through to working with councils, retailers and manufacturers. And he has plenty of experience working on tactical deals that are around the 100K and up mark through to more strategic multi-million dollar deals. So lots of experience to be shared here today. So we'd like to welcome Ian Tennant. It's great to have you on the show. Great. Thank you for the introduction, Ron and and Brenton. Absolute pleasure being here. And I hope I can share some of my, uh, I suppose, livings in the industry with the rest of your viewers. Well, thank you. And I think they'll find that as you kind of talk to us today, that there's some great experience to be had there. But where we want to start today is pathways into business development can be varied. Everything from an engineer who's been identified as someone who can talk well and get on well with people and they get put into BD with no experience through to 
people who receive specific training and so forth. Can you talk to us about your pathway to BD and how you built your skill set? So interesting how that came about because I, I came from an IT background and moved into sales, uh, which was pretty rare back in those days, going straight from technical to sales. So we were fortunate to have, how would you say it, like a, like a business development arm, which is mainly around cold calling and trying to identify if there was a interest from a, a large client base. Mm-hmm. And as soon as, that, as soon as that had been identified, that's when the sales guy would get engaged to qualify that and then move that through the sales cycle, which you can talk about later if you want what that sales cycle is. But essentially, depending on whether you're an account manager looking after specific accounts or a hunter and gatherer <laughs> in terms of trying to find new logo deals for a client, it's quite often a different approach. The hunter and gatherer, which is what I predominantly worked around was making the cold calls, trying to get meetings with people. Obviously, before you go in there and talk with people, you want to understand what their business is. So do the research on who the client is, what their strategy is. There's a heap of different ways, especially nowadays, to find Mm. out what that is in terms of what their strategy is. Would that be through their publicly available documents or their websites even? But you've got to make sure it's relevant to them when you talk to them. You're not mm. just pushing a widget. Mm-hmm. How much is, in your experience at that stage, when you're doing your research, and how much involvement is there in the, the sort of the planning side of things? So depending on the size of the account, obviously the larger the account or the potential revenue you could be getting, absolutely critical to do a lot of planning. And so working for some of the larger big US multinational, multi-billion dollar companies, they put you through some pretty stringent training on all that, on how to read the financial reports, understand where that business is going, understand how your solutions can potentially relate to that and help them make more money, work more efficiently or or anything around that essentially. But the planning could be up to three, four days of research getting that information that together and getting those first calls or exec meetings, they have to be succinct and spot on the first time because first impressions mean a lot, mm. especially when meeting with the execs. Yeah, absolutely. Lou, I just want to pick up on the fact that you also mentioned that you get very specific training. And I think what we find with business development people is there there is a range of skill set in the marketplace. And I think those who receive training like you have, have some really great advantages when it comes to learning how to sell. So can you talk to us about the kind of training that you received? Yeah, absolutely. So the training would range a lot between sales methodology through to, heck, even had companies would give us books to read, such as Mm. SPIN, which is essentially a situation, problem, impact, need. I think the author's Neil Rackman for that, Mm. and that's, that's used extensively throughout the business. But it's more specifically the training around the sales methodology and TAS, target account selling, is one strategy, which is like a spin-off of TAS. Mm. But it's all about breaking it down to what your typical sales process is from the beginning to the very end. Mm. So, And that's essentially meaning doing that strategic account planning in the beginning through to identifying what the problem is within the, uh, the client, what impact that problem has. And it's from there you start uh, 
formulating what that need is they have to sort that problem out. Obviously, it's a lot more complex and goes into detail, but that also comes into understanding who are the key stakeholders, who are the decision makers, what are their drivers, personal and business. And the training takes you through that in detail that more or less forces you to do your due diligence when working through an opportunity from from start to finish. That's good. Because the beginning will be selling the value, but the final half is actually proving your value to the client. In those sort of companies, did they have, did they construct models of a typical journey for the customer and, and were you impacted on that journey? Oh, ab- absolutely. So the whole process that you go through is all about understanding the client first of all. And it's, it's, a, it's almost like a step-by-step approach with branches off it that you go through from start to finish to make sure you cover every different angle. Because I'll guarantee if you're going in there selling something to a client, your competitor is going in there doing the exact same thing. So quite often, it's identifying some of your strengths that you have as a solution that the competitors might be a bit weaker in and ensuring that client understands the strength that you have and what that means for their business that will potentially put you as a a better option for them. And going through that process. Uh, you know, having those models and having that understanding, how critical was that in the ultimate success of being able to get to those larger customers and being able to sell to them? So what a lot of those larger organizations that I work for would do was they'd actually look at the success rate of, you, you talked in your previous podcasts around the funnel and what percentage you were bringing in mm. uh, from that funnel and the conversion rate. And in the software, high-end software industry, it was normally around you win one in five, one in three, if it's a reasonably competitive market space. Yep. And the whole intent was to try and bring that down to a one to two or one to three. You win one out of, out of three opportunities you work for, as in you devote yourself to. But in saying that, there might be opportunities you don't really want to be bidding on because you realize you don't have much of a chance. So you might want to qualify out of that earlier. Yeah. And the, when I mentioned earlier that we had one of our listeners ring in, they were asking about the power to say no. They said that in their organization, they had been given the authority to say no to certain clients who didn't fit the bill. And you were talking about qualifications. So obviously that becomes part of it. Just how important is the ability to say no to some clients and yes to others? It's absolutely critical, I think, from a couple of different angles here. Firstly, you don't want to be bidding on something and winning it when you're not quite the right fit because that'll impact any future sales, not just with that client, but let's face it, it's a pretty small industry here in Australia and people will talk. (laughs) So if it's the wrong solution, word will get around and that'll impact your future sales as well. But secondly, if you're working on large deals that you're unlikely to win and it involves a tender RFP process, Mm. well, that's a lot of resources you're using internally that could be better used elsewhere on deals that you actually got a good chance of winning. So quite often they'll put the, the companies, the large companies you work for, they'll have questions they ask before they respond to a tender to see really what chance of winning you have, which means do you have exec sponsorship? Do you have access to the execs? Do you have a champion, someone who's selling for you when you're not there in yeah. the client side? Those things are critical. And quite often the larger organizations will say, if you don't meet the criteria, for this, we're not responding. Yeah, fair enough. 
And it, from what you were saying earlier, if you want to increase that percentage of win rate, it's, it's, I was kind of hearing that it's identifying those that you're more likely to win with. So clients that have the right kind of problem that you can solve that will increase your success rate. Which is the whole intention. You, you might have finite resources within your organization. You really only want to be working on opportunities that you're going to win or you've got a good chance of winning. Okay. That's how you grow. Yeah, and it was, it was interesting when you were talking about you know, some of the criteria that you have in, inside organizations, you know, the, a champion who's advocating for you when you're not there. That implies, uh, I'm, I'm reading, that you're doing a lot of work before you're actually getting to the RFT stage or something along those lines. There's, there's work to be done before you're even really doing the selling. Large organizations will not let you respond to a tender blind. You need to know who the players are, the problem. And the whole intention is you really want to be shaping what those requirements are. Because let's face it, a lot of the vendors have a lot of good capabilities and functionality and capabilities that should form part of their requirements earlier in the piece. Mm. So you should be in there earlier helping to shape that because at the end of the day, that'll give the better result to the client and a win for everyone involved. Yeah, that's fantastic. So there's a whole lot of pre-work involved. So just getting on to the kind of structure that we went through with driving business development, how important is it and is creating a business development plan, you know, at the start of the financial year or whenever you, in fact, when do you create a business development plan? Normally in the large organizations, um, that'll happen at the very beginning of the financial year. Right. And that's just the way they normally do it. Uh, in terms of if you're not, on a hard and fast, how would you say it, under a large organization and working to their models and say in a smaller, which I'm, I'm now in a smaller niche area right now, mm. that planning happens whenever there's a new client that comes along that has an opportunity Yes, immediately. That's interesting. So you do a specific client plan. Even if that means, depending on the size deal that it might be or the potential size of that client in the future, you should still be doing your due diligence. And that's more out of respect for the client as well. You, you want to know their business as best you can before you start spending time with them. Mm. Your time should be of value to them, not of value to yourself. And, and as you're enacting that plan, as you're going through and, and executing, um, tell, tell me about the, the type of things you're measuring. I'm, ultimately, you're going to be measuring the result. Did I get a, a sale or not? What are the things you're measuring along the way? To, because usually you're working on multiple plans at any given time. What are you measuring along the way to make sure that you're on path for the ultimate success? So going back to the, the training we talked about that a lot of the companies put you through, the, the TAS, the strategy training and the likes, it, you're capturing information on the layout of the company, the corporate structure, mm-hmm. who the key players are, what their drivers are, that all formulates, I suppose, stuff you can measure. How complete a picture have you got? And what you'll find with organizations, they'll test you on that. The, the large US companies will test you on the like a weekly meeting to run through what's the status on, on the account. How many client meetings have you had? How many exec people have you had access to? What are your next steps? What are the outcomes? Because let's face it, when you go into a meeting, you should be clear in your own head and if you've got people with you, what are the outcomes you're looking for? And those yes. outcomes should all be steps along 
getting to that final result of winning the winning the opportunity. Yeah, that's great. So, look, on that as well, because that's really interesting, like you, you're working for companies that are testing you, because I know a lot of the people that are listening might be 50, 60, 100 person businesses. And I think sometimes the, the rigor and the scrutiny that are on the BD team are, are much less because obviously these US companies that you're working with have got years of experience. They know who they're selling to. It's a very niche kind of product that they're trying to sell. So they really have to dive into detail with those clients. So I think some of what you're sharing today is really, really important in the sense that when you're really focusing on BD, you, you need to be detail oriented. You need to be documenting, like documenting a lot. And you need to be recording what's going on so you understand the client. So in that context, how important is team in winning these clients? So you've got someone like yourself who's at the spearhead, I would imagine. And then you've got a team all around you from account managers to execs. Can you talk us through that? Because that's, yeah, that's also a key part, especially with the larger deals. There might be focus areas within that one opportunity that you as a spearhead, you don't have the full knowledge to tap into each of those separate areas. So the team needs to be kept across essentially the whole picture, what you're driving for and the people going out, going down, let's call it rabbit holes for the sake of it, yep. to, to cover off key requirements areas. They, they need to know the bigger picture as well as they need to be given the trust to see their bet through, cover off the people on the client side adequately. Because if you've got a weak link in there, that's something that will get exposed by your competition. Yes. So what sort of communication cycles did you use to keep that broader team engaged and working on that project? That would depend on the size of the opportunity, the complexity of the opportunity. Sure. Uh, but you touched on the other podcasts about using a uh, CRM and the likes or Salesforce, or I don't want to mention vendor names or whatever, <laughs> but essentially – You've got generally online systems where each meeting you should be inputting that information so anyone else in the team can see what it is you've done and what it is you've found out along the way mm. because you've all got to be on the same page and you've all got to be talking the same outcome, the same solution to them. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, it's, it's leveraging those systems to share that information whilst also having the internal meetings face-to-face, -face, so et cetera. When, when you're using those systems – I'm assuming that everyone's inputting in. Do people just read that willy-nilly at their own leisure or do you actually have meetings around the inputs into the system? How do you make sure that that information is being received by everyone in the team? So the larger organisations I worked for, they generally do a meeting on the Monday or the Tuesday during the week. The, I think the smarter organisations normally did it on Monday so that the salespeople needed to prepare over the weekend. Yeah. And so you have your sales meeting on a Monday or a Tuesday where you're going through your opportunity and they work from that system. They look at if you progressed it from 20% to 30% along the yeah. way. They look at the activities and your sales management are watching it like a hawk because that's their way of gauging whether you're doing your job or not and whether you're likely to be successful or not or to be able to read it and offer assistance along the way of, hey, have you guys thought about touching these people here? Because they could be important judging by what I'm reading into what you've inputted in the system. Right. So that's your critical tool that people are working from, management and people within your team. Cool. Fantastic. And and in in terms of that alignment 
and the next step, which is winning as a team. How much is the business development person as the spearhead, how much is a credit is given to them versus or recognition is given to them versus the rest of the team? Because operations, execution, you, um, we were talking about account management later on, all of that has a part to play and recognition becomes very important in people understanding they're part of the business development effort. How does that, how much does that play into it? Yeah, when you're winning, you know, when you have one, that there's recognition given to other people. <laughs> Probably answers that question pretty easily. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you're right. The, the celebration at the end of winning an opportunity I think the BD, from my experience, the BD side is probably the unsung hero. Mm. Right. Why? Well, look at, say, winning an 800-metre or a 1,500-metre race or marathon, you have your pace setters. Yes. How many names of the pace setters do you remember as opposed to the winner? (laughs) Very good point. (laughs) That is great. Yeah, so what you're saying is that there's not enough recognition of the, the team effort and, in particular, those people who are, are pace setting for the team, like the business development people? Obviously, every organization's different, and some organizations go out of their way to make sure everyone's rewarded. But mm-hmm. every department that helps along the way will have their own KPIs, key performance indicators, yeah. that they'll get rewarded on. But I think you'll find that the smaller the organization, the more that's shared around, from my experience, the smaller the organization, the more that win is shared around amongst everyone. Mm, that's yeah. interesting. Look, we're going to start wrapping up now, Ian. So I want to ask, as far as advice is concerned, what advice would you give to BD people out there, firstly, about how to improve their skill set and then how to, you know, because what we've talked about a lot here is very specific strategic accounts that you've been working on. And I know that you've worked on a range of accounts from faster sales that have a lead time of a week through to lead times of a year or more, depending on the size of the deal, et cetera. So when you're talking to BD people, the kind of people that are listening are going to be in different areas of that spectrum. What advice would you have for them about how to improve their results? You'll find everyone's different in terms of personality types, in how they converse with the clients. One of the great trainings I went through through multiple organizations was also around the personality side of things. Right. So there was training around, I think it was called HBDI training, which was Herman Brain dominant, Dominance Instrument, something like that. Sounds um, and And DISC training. Yeah, DISC Which works with that. out what sort of personality type you are, whether you're a dominant, influential, conscientious, steady person. Everyone will have strengths in one area and weaknesses in, in others of the four quadrants they yes. refer to. Understanding yourself and being able to understand the client you're talking to, where their comfort zone is, the earlier you can recognize that, the quicker you can forge a relationship and trust, Yeah, which can quite often then push along the sales cycle a lot quicker. That's obviously very handy, but also having a very structured approach or a prepared approach for those initial calls. Ooh, that's interesting. You're speaking my language there, being prepared and, and <laughs> self-awareness in terms of understanding yourself and how you affect others is, is just as critical for leaders as it is for salespeople. But it's lovely to hear 
someone else saying that type of thing. Look, I think because we're, we're going to run out of time today, but there's a couple of things that I know we were going to talk about, like compelling events and different specific training and all that kind of jazz. And we haven't had a, a lot of time to get into that today, but it might be worth getting in back to talk about personality types in a bit of detail and maybe some other areas of the, the sales cycle. Are you open to that, Ian? Oh, absolutely. Uh, providing your listeners are. Well, we'll find out pretty quick because some of them, particularly a few, give us a call and they say, well, listen to that last podcast. I'd like to give you some advice. And that's great. We encourage that. I also want to say to those people, go and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That would be good. That would be fantastic. So last little bit of advice, Ian, and great to hear that we can have you back again because that would be awesome. Uh, Advice to business owners and CEOs who've got a business development team, what would be your advice to them? to get the most out of their BD people and make the sales work better for their organization? Because at the end of the day, you were saying that it's those big companies that you're working for have structures and, and resources and processes in place that really focus on being able to get sales done. So how does that translate to a business of 50, 100 people or even 20 people? What advice would you have for the owners to improve and help their BD people? Even, even to look at how it's done on the larger scale and streamline it substantially, if need be, to suit your own organisation. Mm. The other thing is talk with people in the industry who've gone through it and done it successfully at that smaller size to sort of learn from their, not just the good things they do, but the mistakes they made along the way to sure you don't do the same thing. You know how it works in industry. Mm. Everyone's gone through learnings along the way. If you can learn from someone else before making a mistake yourself, leverage it. Leverage your contacts. Mm. I think that's very safe advice. Agreed. Well, look, Ian, that's all we've got time for today. I think we will get you back in the coming weeks because I really wanted to get on to talking about that compelling event, but we just didn't quite make it. We'll get there next time. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate that. Yeah, it's just fantastic to get some uh, practitioner out there talking about the type of things we've been talking about, but from a practical, experiential point of view. So thank you very much. Thanks for the invite, gentlemen. That's okay. And for those of you who are listening, we will see you again in a couple of weeks. And that's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye for now.